all, all of our elementary students can go ahead and be dismissed to their classrooms. nearing the end of our If You Love Me series, um, that where we have been examining the connection between loving Christ and obeying his commands. Um, last week, Pastor Bob talked about the importance of immersing ourselves in the study of God's word, because if we say we love Jesus, we must also love his word, okay? Because it is through his word that we primarily come to know him and obey him. And today we're going to shift gears a little bit. And rather than focusing on our obedience or our disobedience, we're going to look at Jesus's obedience. And we're going to specifically look at his obedient journey to the cross. So we're going to go ahead and dive in. Open up to um, Philippians chapter 2 in your pew Bibles. Um, it's page 1672. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. Here's what Paul says. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, I want you guys to do something with me. Close your eyes right now. Billy, can we get this turned down a hair, maybe? Close your eyes. Don't look around. No cheating. I want you to imagine yourself in the most beautiful place you have ever visited in your life. Maybe by an ocean next to some mountains. Now imagine yourself surrounded by beauty while also being in the presence of the people that you love most and the people who love you the most. People who are for you and constantly building you up and loving you through their words and their actions. And in the midst of all that, imagine that God is right there with you, delighting in you, while you delight in him. Okay, you can open your eyes now. That was Jesus's reality. That's what he experienced every second of every day before he stepped foot on this earth. He was in constant communion with the Father and the Spirit in mutual benefiting relationship, praising one another without a hint of sin. There was not an ounce of jealousy, bitterness, greed, or deceit among them. It was total perfection every waking second. And he obeyed his father's will of forsaking that reality in order to come to earth just like us as a baby born to sinful, flawed, broken parents. And there's a lot of different ways that he could have came as the savior of the world. 
But there's obviously a specific way that the father wanted him to go about this mission. Jesus could have said, hey, can we skip this baby thing? Like, do I really got to do all that and the poop and stuff? Is that really necessary? Can I just kind of show up as an adult and arrive on the scene and start my ministry? Get in, get out, right? But there is no evidence of him debating the father, going back and forth, trying to negotiate what the plan was. He was to come to earth in the form of a baby. In verse 6 there, if you look at that again, you still have it open. It says, he did not consider his equality with God to be used to his advantage. In other words, he submitted to his father's plan. Plain and simple, Jesus was obedient. And not only was he obedient to the Father, he was also obedient to man. He was obedient to sinful humans. There's a story in Luke 2 where Jesus is about 12 years old. Many of you know this. They're hanging out in Jerusalem. His parents lose track of him, so they're frantic. They try to find him. And when they locate him, it says this. Then he, Jesus, went down to Nazareth with them, his parents, and he was obedient to them. This is fascinating. He went to Nazareth, and he was obedient to his parents. Check out what uh, David Mathis had to say about this reality. God submitted to man, to us. The God child obeyed his mere human parents, and in doing so, he dignified the most basic and enduring of everyday relational dynamics. In our modern age, taught to despise the ideas of submission and obedience, the Son of God himself, worthy of limitless worship and praise, shatters our shallow conceptions of value and worth. Jesus' obedience to his parents challenges the insecurities in us that often make us averse to submit and obey. God himself in human flesh subjected himself to two average, ordinary, inexperienced parents in an obscure backwater town called Nazareth. Jesus obeyed his parents. Now, I want to hear from you guys. Think back on a time in your life where you had to submit to and obey someone who was less competent than you were and less mature than you were. And I know the wheels are turning, okay? So think back on a time in your life when you had to submit to and obey someone who you were more qualified. The role should have been reversed, okay? Now tell us, what was it like submitting to and obeying that person? The floor's open. You can raise your hand. What was it like submitting to that person and obeying them? Yes, Matt. No doubt. So he submitted to his five-year-old son and um, the building of Legos and how that process was going to go about, what that was going to look like. Yeah, humbling, right? Absolutely. Who else? Oh, come on. I don't know who. Quiet, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So he's saying in a, in a, in a kind of a workplace environment, it takes a lot of self-control and maturity to submit to someone, especially when you know you're probably more competent to be doing their job than they are. Yeah. Anyone else? What that experience was like for you? So for you, it was very painful to submit to a coach who didn't know what they were talking about, right? Right? Exactly. It would be hard for me to want to learn from somebody that's never played the drums trying to teach me how to play the drums. That would be stupid. That would be really, really difficult to submit to that person. Absolutely. Jesus was obedient to his father by coming to earth as a baby. He obeyed his parents, sinful as though they were. Let's look at another way he was obedient. He was obedient, this was interesting, by submitting to Jewish culture. We don't talk about this one quite as much. It's interesting when you consider that he did not begin his ministry until the age of 30. Okay? So God himself walked the earth for 30 years before he even began preaching and telling others who he was. 30 years. Why in the world did he wait so long? He could have accomplished a lot in 30 years. He waited so long because that was the father's plan, was to be patient and to operate like any other Jewish man at the time. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus was a rabbi, which is a fancy word for a prominent Jewish teacher, and the time and place of where Jesus lived the age a man could become a rabbi was 30. So he submitted to Jewish culture just like anyone else, waiting 30 years to begin his teaching ministry. He did nothing to shortcut his way to preaching or performing miracles, but he humbled himself and obeyed his father's plan by um, submitting to Jewish guidelines that were set before him. He waited, and this one, this specific act of obedience really hits home for me, especially as of late. I am the type of person, when God calls me to do something, I am all in. I'm ready to go. It is not my personality to think of 50 ways, 50 reasons why I shouldn't do the very thing that God has asked me to do. I'm ready to go. And as many of you know, I am getting ready to go back to college to get a master's degree in mental health counseling. After I talked to my wife about this in December, it was the shortest discussion ever. She said, you need to do this. Like, there's not even a question in my mind. I said, okay. I started applying to programs. I got accepted. I was supposed to start this past February, and I was guns blazing full of anxiety because everything was happening so fast. I had to buy airfare to California and work out the logistics for the kickoff of my program. And thankfully, in a meeting with Bob early February, God told me to slow down. He told me to pump the brakes. I did not have peace. Everything was frantic and rushed and certainly anxiety-provoking 
And God told me and taught me that faster is not better. Okay? Faster is not better. Jesus waited to begin his ministry. God wanted me to wait to begin this new degree. So I deferred my start date until this this coming August. I'll be starting. And because of submitting to his desire for me to wait, I've been able to really use this time to prepare for what's to come. I've been able to do a lot of fundraising to help with my degree costs that some of you have tremendously helped me and been generous, so thank you for that. I've been able to put some time into a plan for who's going to take over some of my responsibilities that I'm going to have to kind of step away from, from what this degree is going to require of me. I've been able to really think through that. And I've been able to be more present to my family during a difficult time that we're in right now with a loved one going and battling some serious medical issues. And so I say all that for those of you that have a hard time waiting, okay, that I understand the difficulty of submitting to God's plan and to be patient. We are Americans. We love to accomplish, right? Success, accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. But most of the time, Jesus is calling us to wait and to be still and to be patient for his time and his move. Look at verse 7 again, if you still have that open. Philippians 2, verse 7. It says, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Simply becoming man for Jesus was the definition of humility. Okay? We are literally made from dust. From dust we're made and we're going to return to dust when we die. By becoming man, he subjected himself to the pride, the ridicule, the betrayal, and the ignorance of human beings. He could have lived a life of ease, a life of comfort, being the true king of the universe, but he chose none of that. Rather, he lived really the most ordinary and uninspiring life by how most of us view success and a life well-lived. Many people believe Jesus was homeless. There's some debate around this. I don't care to get into it. But he seemed to travel quite a bit. And his well-being many times depended on the hospitality of strangers. Okay? So if he was in a certain town, whether it was close to home or 50, 100 miles from home, if he was rejected in that town, he might have to sleep on the ground. Sleep on the road that night because there was not a place for him to lay his head. So think about that. God himself was subject to the hospitality of others. God himself sometimes did not even have a place to sleep because his creation would not accept him. They rejected his message. Rejection was all too common for Jesus. Some of you guys have heard this famous section of a sermon given a long time ago by Dr. James Allen in 1926. Here's what he said about Jesus. It says, he was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. 
He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. And that's our Savior. No credentials but himself. That is our King of kings and Lord of lords. A life marked by submission, surrender, and downward mobility. He obeyed the plan of his father to come to earth as a baby. He obeyed his sinful parents. He submitted to flawed Jewish culture by waiting 30 years to start proclaiming who he really was. So if nothing else, listen to this, his life should teach us that we have no right to operate from a spirit of pride or self-righteousness. No right. Never should we see ourselves above another person. I don't care what your credentials are. Never should we view ourselves as being unable to learn from another person. Jesus was obedient to his father from his first breath until his last breath on the cross. Consider this for a moment. Think about the people that he invited into his life to be his closest friends and followers, the 12, the 12 men in his inner circle that he said, follow me, and they spent three years with him. These dudes were anything but impressive, okay? Anything but impressive. John MacArthur put it like this about his disciples. He said, they are not the cream of the crop among men. They're not the highest, the noblest, the best. They're not the most educated, the most highly skilled, the most gifted, humanly speaking. The truth is they basically are distinguished by one thing, and that is that they are ordinary. They have that in common. They are a very, very strange group. You could not pull them together any other way than God doing it for his own purposes because of their divergence. So by our standards, we would call Jesus' 12 closest friends a bunch of losers by our standards. That's pretty interesting to think about. Okay? God spent most of his ministry hanging out with who we would call losers. People not competent to lead any type of ministry, let alone a mission that was going to change the world. Okay? How easy could it have been for Jesus to look to the Father and say, Dude, these guys are idiots. Come on, God, is this the best you can give me? How much longer do I have to put up with these clowns, right? But again, there's not a hint of that. Not a hint of that. We see him loving those men again and again. When they stab him in the back and betray him, what does he do? He keeps on loving them. Loving them in their worst and weakest moments. Jesus obeyed the Father by deeply loving the sinful people around him. Jesus' obedience to the Father also meant that he was not going to be a puppet of the religious elite of his day. They refused to try and understand why Jesus did the things that he did. 
why he spent time with the people he spent time with. Prostitutes, tax collectors, all other types of sinners. Jesus' obedience meant that religious leaders were constantly going to oppose him and threaten him. And he still obeyed and submitted to his father's plan. It's interesting to even think about some of the early days of Jesus' ministry when he first kind of came onto the scene. He was already talking about his death early in the Gospels. The New Testament, as a lot of you know, refers to Jesus sometimes as the bridegroom and to us, the church, the bride, okay? Mark 2.20, Jesus says, the time will come when the bridegroom himself will be taken from them. He says this in Mark 2. Okay, this is what Bible commentator Rodney Cooper had to say about this. This is the first indication in Mark that Jesus was fully aware of his mission. Jesus' prediction here introduces a somber note that is, excuse me, that has been missing up to now in Mark's account of miracles and controversies. It reminds us that joy and suffering are often two different sides of the same coin. Jesus knew what awaited him. He knew the immense suffering that he would endure long before he was arrested and murdered. And don't for one second think that his obedience was easy. There's this temptation to think, well, he's God. He had supernatural powers. It probably wasn't so bad. I've actually heard Christians say to me, you know, I don't think his death was probably as painful as it would have been if we were the ones that died that death. And guys, that is absolutely false. That is a lie, okay? If you or someone you know believes that, that is a lie. And here's how I can prove it's a lie. Check out what Hebrews says. Hebrews 5, 7, and 8. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. You don't cry fervently with tears throughout your life if what you're about to experience is going to be hell. Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. This is not saying that he was ever disobedient, but rather his obedience was tested through the countless trials and the sufferings in his life, and he passed that test of obedience again and again by staying faithful to the Father. And guys, a fitting verse for us, like we talked about today, it's Palm Sunday. Fitting verse is Luke 9, 51. Jesus had just told his disciples um, on more than one occasion he was going to be killed and then he was going to be raised again three days later. And then he says this to them. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And that word resolute has been defined as marked by firm determination or an unwavering manner. 
He turned his eyes toward death with firm determination because he knew it was our only hope of ever having forgiveness and being made righteous before the Father. So nothing would stop him from being obedient, even if it cost him his life. And think about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You know, it could have been easy for him to give in to the crowd, to give in to what the crowd wanted, his friends or family, and maybe some of the dreams and vision that they had for him. You know his parents and his disciples, they had a vision for what his life should look like or what they wanted his life to look like, being the Messiah, right? I'm sure the dreams of his parents and his friends didn't involve death. That probably wasn't their vision for him. But he stayed true to the calling. He stayed the course and he did not give in to their dreams or their wishes or demands. And I want to talk to young people right now. There's a lot of young people who can probably relate to this. You likely have a lot of people in your life who have dreams of what your life should look like, who you should marry, what career path you should go down, how you should spend your time. But sometimes being obedient to God moves you in a direction that they're going to oppose, a direction that's not going to make sense to them. A direction that's not going to line up with what they had in mind or have in mind for you in your future. Some of you guys are doing our year-long internship right now, college kids. Some of you, over a dozen, are going to be spending the summer here doing our summer internship. I know there are people who are whispering, and maybe they're not whispering, maybe they're being very vocal saying, is that really the best use of your time? Just going to just hang around this church for two months? You can make a lot of money working a ton over the summer. Is this really what you think you need to be doing? Okay? If that's you, which I know it is, because I've talked to some of you, many of you, listen up. Be like Jesus. Follow him. Stay true to the course, okay, of what he has called you to do. There will always be doubters. There will always be haters, okay? I say that jokingly. Haters are going to hate. There will always, but I'm serious, there's always going to be haters if you're following Christ, okay? You will always be looked upon as a fool in the eyes of the world if you follow Jesus. The life of obedience to Christ does not make sense to a culture that values personal health, wealth, and pleasure above all. The world will never understand the way of Jesus. It will always be foolish to them. And guys, really it all comes down to this as we kind of wrap it up. Jesus' obedience was ultimately for the flourishing of others. Okay? That is God's ultimate desire for us. In obedience, not only are we set free from living a life that are just meaningless, you know, being slaves to sin, we're set free, but it's for the flourishing of others. So if you're not sure, if you're living a life of obedience, then take a look around you. This question will give you some good discernment. Are other people flourishing because of your obedience to Christ? Who's flourishing because of your obedience to Christ? 
if the only thing flourishing in your life is your bank account or your material possessions, then I'm going to tell you there's probably a good chance you're not being obedient to Christ. Sorry, not sorry. In our obedience, we leave the results up to God too. Okay? We don't obey so that we can look back over the years and look at all the fruit of our lives and feel good about it and pat ourselves on the back. We cannot control how God chooses to use our obedience, okay? We certainly can't control how people respond to God moving through us. We're just called to do the next thing, okay? Obey the next thing in the big and the little decisions of our lives. Maybe that next thing for you could happen this afternoon. Maybe it's keeping your mouth shut when you want to lash out at your spouse or your child because of a disagreement. Perhaps it's showing grace to an employee tomorrow or a coworker or a student that just drives you insane. We're called to obey today and then we let him do whatever he wants to do with it. We obey and we leave the rest up to him. Jesus Christ was obedient. Let's follow his steps. Amen. All right, let's pray together. Jesus, you are so good. And Lord, we thank you for the perfect, beautiful example that you modeled for us, God, when you came to earth, living a life of complete obedience and submission to the Father, submitting to sinful people even, which is just so difficult to wrap our minds around. God, the way that you have laid out for us is clear. Lord, would you remove our pride, our self-righteousness, anything, God, hindering our obedience to you? God, would you speak and convict us, God, in the the areas that we need to be stretched and challenged in, God, and submit to you, Lord. Those things can be all over the map for a group of people this large. But God, help us to listen and to respond in obedience, Lord, whatever that might look like for us. Thank you for the incredible example of a life that you lived of submission and just complete downward mobility, God, so that other people could flourish. Let our lives be about that, helping other people know you more, helping other people preach the gospel, helping other people be saved and experience your grace and healing and freedom, God. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.